John's Gospel, chapter 3, and today we're going to progress, I think, a little bit further to, in this third chapter, to um, <clears throat> show the contrast between Nicodemus and John the Baptist. It's very important to think about the reason that the Lord now shifts his attention to John the Baptist after uh, this in-depth encounter with uh, Nicodemus. So we want to see that and we want to think about it a little bit because that's what's important in terms of Bible study is why the Lord provides the sequence of things that are presented the way that he does. And so we're going to be looking at that. But what we're going to discover is that the problem that we have in churches across the world today is really no different than the problem that existed uh, 2,000 years ago when Nicodemus came to the Lord by night. Well, what was the problem back then? It's the same problem that we have right now. And that is, in most religious circles, the horrible message from heaven is not being presented. It isn't. People are not being told the truth. And the reason is because the truth is too horrible. People do not want to believe it's true. I mean, when the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? That's a horrible message when you think about it. Uh, when the Lord says there's none good, no, not one. Not one person is good. Well, we do not grow up thinking that. I mean, we do not walk around thinking of ourselves as being a bad person. We simply do not. It is not in our nature to think that way. But we learn from Scripture that our perspective is not God's perspective. And our ways are not His ways. We know nothing about God apart from his revelation of himself. And we know, know nothing about ourselves apart from the revelation of God's word. Absolutely nothing. And so Nicodemus is a classic example of most churchgoers today. A churchgoer, we're talking about religious circles, religious circles who that goes to churches today really believes that they're not good. They're not a good person. How many people really believe that they have a heart that's desperately wicked? How many people really believe that? I mean, it's easy to give lip service to this in terms of this is what the Bible says, but owning it. There's a difference in knowing what the Bible says and owning it. Well, Nicodemus had not owned it. 
And, and how many people are there in the world that believe that they can do absolutely nothing without God? Absolutely nothing. The Lord said, without me, you can do nothing. How many people really believe that? How many people go through life becoming, even after they profess to get saved, being very proud of what they do for the Lord? Uh, to the point of thinking that it would be unconscionable that I could stand before the Lord one day being uh, uh, principal of a Christian school or uh, a Christian school teacher uh, or somebody that has gone out and, and tried to witness to other people for many, many years as though somehow or other that makes me special in the eyes of God, where he would look at me in a, a totally different way than what the Bible reveals me to be. <clears throat> Let me tell you something, folks. I don't care how long you live as a professing Christian. The only thing that will ever be special about you or me is found in Colossians chapter 1. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's it. Apart from that truth, there's not one good thing about us. And that's a horrible message. I'm Sad to have to say, but it's true. It's a true message from heaven. There's none good, no, not one. The only way you'll ever be good in the eyes of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How many people are going to hear that today? Well, what was the problem in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, he was in a religious circle. He was an example of a man at his best state. He was an example of a man who knew the scriptures but was lost. He could quote the scriptures, but he was lost. And uh, <clears throat> the thing that's important for us to think about today is hopefully we know the contrast between Nicodemus and John the Baptist because there's a, there's a, a tremendous difference between these two people Nicodemus was not a child of God he was lost on his way to hell and did not know it. He had no idea. He was in the dark. He sure was. He did not know that he hated the light. He did not know that. This had been pressed out of his, his consciousness of himself. Um, I think all of us live with this problem we, we do not want to acknowledge what we're really like when we're alone. 
And we do not want to really <coughs> allow anyone to know what really goes through our mind in the course of a day. Even the closest people to us. We live an incredibly secret life. And it's to a great extent in the dark where the people who see us on the stage of life never really know what we're really like. Because we can be very, very crafty at displaying on the stage of life how we want to be viewed by people. But you see, God is different from us. He can tell what's our, what our thoughts are. He knows the difference between the soul and the spirit. Do we? Do we know ourselves that well? To know the difference between a spirit and a soul? Do we know how the tissues of our body are joined to the marrow of our bones? Do we, do we know where it begins and ends and becomes tissue and where it separates from being bone. Do we know that? He does. Are, are we really honest when we think about our thoughts and our intentions? Do we know the real difference between what we think and what we intend? He does. He knows us. He knows what we're like when we're on the stage of life and when we're not on the stage of life. That is kind of scary when you think about it. Much like the illustration that has been used in this church over the years, would any of us be willing to be hooked up to modern-day technology where electrode type devices could be placed on our skull that would actually read the thoughts of our mind that would then be projected on the screen up here so that no matter what happens during the course of a church service whatever goes through your mind is seen by everybody. <coughs> Folks, the God who wrote this book sees that every day. And when you think about it, I don't see how any of us could be here in this room and think that thought carefully and honestly and not be shaken on the inside because we know our conscience convicts us through the Spirit of God, saved or lost, 
that what God says about us is absolutely true. Now, I'll tell you one of the things that has gripped my mind over the years when it comes to evidence that this book was written by God, inspired and preserved by God. I have come to believe uh, that one of the greatest evidences of the truth of the message of this book is what God says about the secret side of my existence. It's one of the greatest self-evident truths that you'll ever think about. Who but God could really expose us for what we really are? Who but God could do that? I mean, no one on earth knows what you think about. But God does. He sure does. No one but God knows what we do behind closed doors and in the dark. No one but God. And so this book is a revelation of a self-evident truth that is horrifying when you think about it. Because we're not getting away with anything. Not a thing. We are totally depraved. Deserving of what this Bible says we're deserving of. And that's eternal condemnation. But you see, that truth was resisted in religious circles 2,000 years ago. And it is resisted today. And it's not being preached. People are not being told these things. Preachers are ignoring this truth because it makes the audience feel uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, if you preach it, it can get you killed. It can cause your circle of fellowship to become very, very small. Because the vast majority of the people that go through that wide gate and that broad way on their way to hell will have nothing to do with you. And what they've done is they've gone to a church that preaches another Jesus, not the one that's talking like this, where there's another spirit, not the Holy Spirit that convicts, listen to this, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. And another gospel, another gospel, not the gospel of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the gospel. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The gift of God, that's the gospel. But in most churches in the world, 
That's not believed. And so they're preaching another gospel. Another gospel is one, if you just mentally assent that the Bible is true, if you just mentally assent and agree that there is a God, you're, not, you're, you're then not an atheist. Well, if you're not an atheist, then you must be a believer. And, and if you really believe that you're a pretty good person, then how does that stand with God who says there's none good? How does that stand with God? And how many people in these churches where another Jesus is preached, another spirit, and another gospel, how many of them really believe, really truly believe, that they're not a good person? How many people really understand Philippians 2.13? It is him that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Why does he say that? Because we can't, we're not capable of willing anything good. We're not capable of doing anything good. The Lord said, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you'll be ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's a pretty horrible message, isn't it? But is it being preached? And how can people come to Christ for salvation when they basically feel like that the qualifications for living with a holy God for all eternity to come is uh, is already in place because we profess to know him as our Savior and we go to church and we read our Bible from time to time and we don't have any f enemies. We're a member of the Rotary Club, the Lions Club. Some are Masons. Uh, we do many wonderful works. How could a loving God condemn me to hell? How is that possible? But that's the message of the Bible. So what we want to do today is we want to think a little bit about the contrast between Nicodemus and John the Baptist because Beginning at verse 22, let's just read this section and then we'll think about why the Lord follows up this encounter with uh, Nicodemus by saying these things about John the Baptist. Verse 22 of chapter 3 of John's Gospel. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized and John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. John would be cast into prison for uh, being critical of... Uh, of um, 
Herod for taking his brother-in-law Philip's wife, the way that goes. Um, and so he was going to be thrown into prison and would eventually lose his head. Verse 25, then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. A good question would be why would the Jews uh, present such a, a matter uh, uh, to the Lord and the disciples? Why, why would he do that? And the reason is because human nature is coming out. And this is what the Lord is exposing to us here, how the human nature is coming out. An evil nature of competition and envy. Competition and envy. Much like the disciples who, even during their time of ministering with the Lord as his disciples were striving among themselves as to who would be the greatest. Who is the smartest among us? Who is the closest to the Lord? Who knows the most about the Bible? Who baptizes the most? Who has the biggest church? What is this man doing? This is our nature. It's evil. It's pure evil. And these people are, are coming to um, the Lord and his disciples trying to stir up a rift between the Lord and his disciples and John and his followers over the issue of baptizing. And who is baptizing the most? <laughs> Folks, let me tell you something. There's a many a preacher right now today in pulpits that are so proud of how many they've baptized. They put it on the marquee. They usually have a marquee up on the, the church wall so that they can show how much money was given, how many members they've got now, how many they baptized last week, so that they can glory in what they do. Folks, those kinds of churches, this kind of teaching that we're looking at this morning, is unknown. I'm telling you, unknown in most religious circles in this country today. Unknown. The meekness and humility that should exist in all of us in really understanding the horrible message from heaven would, if we really believed it, it would totally reverse the trends that we see in church circles all over the world. It would totally change it. I mean, how many people really think through why Christ was crucified? How many people really think through why the disciples, the 12th of them, 
uh, 11 of them, uh, martyr, actually, John the Apostle was exiled. We have no record of him being martyred. Uh, Judas hanged himself. He committed suicide. And so 10 of them were martyred. Why? Why would you kill people that go about doing good? Why would you do that? Why, why, would you go, why would you crucify a man, and it says it twice in the book of Acts, that the Lord went about doing good? Why would you crucify somebody that goes about doing good? I mean, when you think about what Christ did, it's, it's amazing that he would have been crucified. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most shocking things to discover in the Bible is that Christ would be crucified when he went into all the cities and all the villages, healed everybody that was sick, everybody, thousands upon thousands of people he healed. He raised the dead. He enabled the blind to see. He caused those that were crippled to be able to walk. If you had leprosy, he would heal it. What did he do that would cause him to be crucified? I'll tell you what he did. It's what we read about Nicodemus and what he told Nicodemus. He said, you're a master in Israel and you don't know these things? When I discuss being born all over again, you do not understand what that message is. In other words, your life as it currently is, is so worthless. The only thing that I can tell you is that you are going to die. It's appointed in a man once to die and then the judgment. And that is your future. And if you hope to have life, you're going to have to be totally recreated, born again, totally recreated from the dead. And not only that, I am the light of the world, but you hate me. Because my light is not what you want the light to be. You do not like the light that has come from heaven that reveals your darkness. You do not like it. But it's nevertheless the truth. And have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Folks, as we sit here in Sunday school this morning, Every one of us must own the message of this book. That not one of us is special. Not one of us. There's absolutely not one thing in our thoughts or in our works, what we could ever do in the course of life if we live to be over 100. 
There's not one thing that would cause God to turn his attention toward us and say, wow, okay, I think I'm going to take you on to heaven because you're a pretty good person. You're a pretty good person. We don't find that message in the Bible. Nowhere. God tells him. In verse 19, And this is the condemnation, that light is coming into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He was talking to Nicodemus, a master in Israel, a ruler, a man that was looked up to by everybody. But you see, what the people saw was not Nicodemus. What Nicodemus really was is what God saw. And what did God see? That there's none good. And that includes you, Nicodemus. You're not a good person. Uh, Nicodemus, the truth about you is you live a duplicitous life. You live one way on the stage of life where the public can see you every day as a master in Israel, a teacher, a ruler, a Sanhedrin, the highest of the highest when it comes to the religious circles that we know anything about. A man who knows all about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Moses and can teach all of these things historically about these personalities. But Nicodemus, the truth is, you love the world and the things that are in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You're a proud person, Nicodemus, a proud person. But that's not the truth you want the truth to be. You would like for there to be another Jesus with a different message. You would like a different spirit working on your conscience concerning sin and righteousness and judgment to come. You would like another gospel where the gate to heaven would be much wider than that narrow one that I'm telling the world about. You would like another gospel. And I'm telling you folks, I'm not trying to make this church special, but what I am doing is trying to make this message right here special. It's out of God's word, and it's special. It sure is. And I'm telling you that what went on in the days of Nicodemus 2,000 years ago is going on today. All around us. And if we're not careful, it can go on in this church. In this church. And the way it happens is this. It's saying, <clears throat> I don't like to think about that horrible message from heaven. Is that man up there teaching Sunday school really somebody that knows what he's talking about or not? 
I mean, really, is this the Jesus of the Bible? The one that he's talking about? Is this really the Spirit of God in this place? Or is he preaching another gospel? That's not really the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I can tell you this because Paul said it. He said the message from heaven concerning Jesus Christ is simple. And the message of this Bible concerning the spirit of Christ is simple. And the message concerning the gospel is simple. It's so simple, the Apostle Paul told the Galatians, if anyone preaches unto you any other gospel, let him be accursed. He said they're at my one. And if anybody changes this gospel in such a way that it makes you special rather than Christ in you being special. That's what makes a believer special. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you do not have Christ in you, then the Apostle Paul said, you're none of his in the book of Romans. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. What does it mean to have the Spirit of Christ? Well, I'll tell you one thing it means. It means that in you, every day, you can't find one thing to be proud about. Not one thing. I don't care how long you've professed to be a Christian. I don't care how many years you've been a Christian school teacher. I don't care how long you've been a Bible teacher or a preacher. There's not one thing special about anybody. Nothing whatsoever. Apart from Christ, we're deserving of hell. That's the message of the Bible. It sure is. The only one that's special is the only one of whom Scripture says is good. And that's God. There's none good but one, and that is God. You find that in Luke chapter 18, when the Lord was talking to the rich ruler. He's telling him the horrible message from heaven. He was telling him, uh, I know you've done a lot of things that you think are good, but there's none good but one, and that is God. So what does that make you? Well, it makes you a bad person. How bad? And that's the question. How bad? Can we put a percentage on it? Well, God put a percentage on it. It's called total depravity. Totally bad. Totally. The human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When he said, who can know it? That was God's way of saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. You will never be able to know how bad you are because you're so bad, 
The only thing that can address it is eternity itself of suffering. Eternity of suffering. Folks, you know something? I'd love to be able to come down here and teach Sunday school. And everybody go out of here feeling pretty good about themselves. But I can't do it and teach the Bible. Because it's not in the Bible. I'll tell you how you can know whether or not you've heard the truth. It's whether when you leave this service today... You feel convicted. I feel convicted. Folks, I couldn't stand up here and say these things if the Lord had not already gotten me in a corner and convinced me that everything that I'm telling you is true about me. I know it's true about me. Absolutely. I know it's true about me. But it's a terrible thing when you go out of a church service and you continue to live the same way you always lived, with the same attitude toward God and toward other people that you had before you came today. I'm telling you that the message of this book, now listen to this, is converting when you really believe it, a radical change will take place in your life so that you never think of yourself the same way again, ever. So that the way you view other people is never the same, ever, again. The way you think about God is going to change forever because you'll see him as he is. You'll understand what a holy God is, a holy God that hates sin, hates sin, enough to condemn sin in his own flesh and raise his own self from the dead so that death could be swallowed up in victory in Christ Jesus. He despises sin. But we don't. We love it. Absolutely love it. That's our problem. We love it. And so the first part of John chapter 3 is about Nicodemus in his horribly lost condition. But then we start to read about John the Baptist, and we didn't read all the way through this. We need to do this. Uh, I think we got down to uh, verse 26. Let's look at verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Notice the difference between John the Baptist and Nicodemus. A man can receive nothing except to be given him from above. Why did he say that? Because there's nothing in John that he could glory in. Nothing. He could only glory in what had been given to him. 
You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Now, what he's addressing here is a disclosure of his grasp of identity. He knew who God was, but he also knew who he was. The whole Bible is about identity. It's about knowing God and seeing him as he really is. He's holy. Holy. The other part of scripture is showing you who you are. That we are ungodly. When we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, the unholy. That's the message from heaven. John the Baptist understood that. Nicodemus didn't. That's the contrast between these two personalities, and that's why the Lord is putting John the Baptist as a contrast to Nicodemus. It's very important to see that in this chapter, or you miss it. You, you miss what's going on here. Verse 29, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And then he says this, he must increase but I must decrease. That's the contrast between John the Baptist and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was trying to increase. He had already climbed to the top. He was a, a master in Israel, a ruler. He was at the top of the, of the ladder of success. But notice what John the Baptist said. I must decrease. I must come down off of the ladder and get back down on the ground where I belong because I'm the lowest form of life. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, I am the chief of sinners. Big difference. When Medad and Eldad began to prophesy in the camp. Some people came to Moses and said, you need to do something about them. They're, they're prophesying in the camp. You know what Moses said. He said, I would to God that all the children of Israel were prophets and could prophesy. All of them. And then it goes on to say in the next chapter that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. What did that mean? What does it mean? Well, they were trying to stir up envy between Moses and these people that were prophesying, and they couldn't do it. Because Moses understood the horrible message from heaven. He sure did. 
but the children of Israel didn't understand the horrible message from heaven. So they were trying to stir up strife and envy. It happens in the church from time to time. You'll have those that look at what others are doing and become critical of it. We'll compare ourselves among ourselves and think within ourselves, well, I'm glad I'm not like that person. I'm glad I didn't do what they did. The Apostle Paul said, before you do that, you need to consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so if you want to be spiritual and go and, you know, lay it on somebody. You need to analyze your own spirituality first, lest you also be tempted. Because the truth is, we're all alike. There is nothing good about any of us, ever. The only thing good about anyone is when we become meek like Moses, when we become like John the Baptist, who said he must increase, I must decrease. We have to come down off of that prideful ladder that we're sitting on, get back down to earth to acknowledge the horrible message from heaven. There's none good. No not one. So how does a bad person become a judge of another person that does something bad? How do you do that? I mean, what person wants to go to a court where the judge is a bad judge? I don't. Donald Trump is dealing with that right now. And the whole world looks on it with disdain because you got a bad judge trying to judge another man as being bad. Now, how do you get justice out of that? But if that judge knew the truth about himself, that he is a bad judge and owned it privately, I'm a bad person. But I'm convicted about what is right well, if he at least allowed his conscience to bear witness with what the scripture has to say, as it teaches us in uh, Romans chapter 2. God's law is written in our conscience in such a way that we can know when we're doing something right and when we're doing something wrong. If we would judge ourselves before we ever go and talk to somebody else about their issues, then we might have a better conversation that would be more meaningful. And we would not be perceived as condescending, but as somebody that's actually lower than the one that we're talking to, the way the Apostle Paul did. He said, when it comes to sin and sinners... I'm the chief. That's the difference between Nicodemus and John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist saw the need to decrease, not increase. Verse 31, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Boy, he could see the difference between heaven and earth. He could see why Christ came down to the earth. Because heaven and earth were not one. The only way heaven and earth could become one would be for God to come down and give us his life to be our life. Then we could have oneness with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We could be one. But we would have to receive everything that he is in his life as our life for that unity to exist. John the Baptist understood that. Nicodemus didn't. Verse 32, And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. And so he's talking about Christ in terms of what he knows and has witnessed. But no man receives his testimony. Why did they not receive his testimony? Because it was a horrible testimony. That's why. No one wanted to believe it was true. And so they crucified him. And then followed up by crucifying the disciples. Verse 33 he that hath received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. God told us the truth. There's none good but one. That's God. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So what does this mean? Well, if you think about it, you can see that the language here cannot help but totally reverse a person's perspective of themselves and totally reverse their perspective of God is totally reversed. From being a self-centered human the way Nicodemus was to being a God-centered person the way John the Baptist was. In the mind of John the Baptist, everything was Christ. Everything. In the life of Nicodemus, everything was himself and him trying to become good enough for God to receive him. And so far, he had been ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth of how that could happen. He didn't know. And so God tells him, Nicodemus, let me tell you the simplicity of it. You are so bad that you're going to have to be born 
all over again. 100%. You are totally depraved. Totally. 100% of everything that you are, I reject. Every thought that you've ever had, everything that you have ever done, even if you plowed, the plowing of the wicked is sin. Because you were plowing for yourself and what you could get out of it. You weren't plowing for me. You were plowing for yourself. You got up every morning and went to work for what? For a dollar bill. For who? For yourself. The plowing of the wicked is sin. Folks, When you read the scriptures for what it actually says, this is what you will understand. You will understand this. The world will understand it. All they have to do is study the Bible for what it says. I don't know anything. But the value of education, the value of learning to read, is to learn to read the actual words and discover the intent of those words. Well, is God, does he have scholarship when it comes to language? When it comes to writing, is he a scholar at writing? Is he able in his scholarship to write in a way that it's unmistakable what he is saying? Can he write in such a way that you can know his intent in what he is saying? And the answer is yes, he can. Listen, he is the Alpha and Omega. What does that mean? Well, the Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. He is the beginning and the ending of all knowledge and wisdom and writing. And that's why he wrote a book called the Bible. The most neglected book that has ever been written is the Bible. And yet it's the most plentiful of any book that has ever been written is the Bible. Folks, that's why in chapel, on a regular basis, I tell the young people, by clock, set the alarm early Get up every day of your life without fail and study this book. Study it. As though your life depends on it because it does. It does for all eternity.
Benny, dismiss us, bro. Uh, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for revealing these things about ourselves because if it wasn't in your word, we, we just wouldn't know these things. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to take these things to heart, to understand that even being saved, we still have an old nature that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we need to put that old nature to death every day. We pray that you would help us to do that today, that we might hear the words of life uh, that you have for us today. We pray that you be with our pastor as he brings the word. We know that uh, without you, we can do nothing. And so we pray that you would help us to be able to receive your word, to take it, to tell a lost and dying world about the loving Savior who gave all that we might have eternal life. We pray these things in Jesus' name.